What you're about to hear is a talkback for episode 3 of Streams and Variations. If you haven't heard episode 3 yet, please check that out first, as we will be discussing the stories and songs contained in that episode and how they fit together. So give it a listen, subscribe, and if you like what you hear, tell your friends about us. Let's get to it. Welcome to Streams and Variations Talk Back for Episode 3. My name is Jamie Johnson, and I'll be your host. I'm joined today by Streams and Variations co-producer Sean Urker, writer-director, actor-producer Tim Cadney, and music theater writer-composer Jackson Saib. Hello, everyone. Hello. 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 First off, to start off this one, I'm just going to ask a question, a really quick one here. Um, I mentioned in the introduction to Episode 3 that writing is a solitary pursuit, but I have a big question for everybody, or, or those of us who have people around us. What do you do <laughs> when you're inside all the time with other people around, and you're trying to write, and all you have is people around you all the time? Tim. I I have a 15-month-old son, and our writing times basically coincide with, you go out and take him for a walk. So, because <laughs> if not, if not. <laughs> and, you know, what's what's really nice, too, is that we've, we've, we've set up the bedroom now to be a workspace so we can have that separation. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's tough because, you know, you're, you're hearing nursery rhymes in the background from a wonderful, cute toy, and you're like, this is influencing my dark... Dark writing. <laughs> Jackson, how are you coping with all this? Uh, well, my partner and I live in a one base, a one bedroom basement apartment with a den in the back. We've turned our den into a music room. So what I like to do is I open up my door, I, I get right up close to the mic, I crank the gain up to twelve, and then I give myself a little ASMR session as I sing and play my way through a song. <laughs> it's the best thing I could possibly hope for. It's it's. Uh, this room is actually strangely well sound treated. I think the person who lived here before was like an insomniac or something, um, which means that ev every tiny noise that I make in here is amplified tenfold by the by the microphone. Um, so listening back to the recordings, uh, recordings are actually these quite esoteric John Cage <laughs> um, experiences when I expected it to be a nice little bop and pop tune. Um, so, you know, it, it certainly colors the art. Tim. Since you were the first person here, I just wanted to um, uh, make something clear to everybody that because I want all of the writers to work under the same restrictions within the writing process that we're uh, using uh, to make these shows, um, I started your, your stream off with a song prompt. And that song prompt was a song called Replacement Things by our, our friend David Newberry. There will always be a river It'll always rise in spring We make our own undoing With every little thing I sang the things I sang What was it like using a piece of music by a person that you know personally? Well, yeah, I'm, I have to say I'm a, I'm a big fan of David's music first and foremost and... Um, it was really exciting to know that I was going to get one of his songs. And, and I, you know, I, 
there's a there's a few of his songs that I've heard more than replacement things, and you know, replacement things I've heard I think once or twice live when he was performing at Cold Reads, and um, and so going back through it and actually really digging into the lyrics. Um, you just realize like how much substance he had in there. So it, at first it was a little nerve wracking because it's like, okay, I have no idea what's in this song. And then I remember I was I was coming home from work and I was bike riding. So I put it on and I was I was riding like down along the lake and, and it, you know, it was beautiful scenery, summer day. Uh, you know, the lake looked as beautiful as Lake Ontario can look. And uh, yeah, that's where I thought of this dark end of the world monologue. The funny thing about this coming from David Newberry's song is that uh, I knew that song um, previously as well, and I really love that song. I've heard David play it a few times, and I had listened to it a few times. And when we got your monologue, I went, how the hell did this come from David's song? (laughs) No, and I'll let Tim talk about it, but all I'll say is that I went back, and after I read Tim's thing, I went back and actually looked at the lyrics to David's song, and I went, oh, oh, I can... I can, oh, yeah, yeah. And then now, anytime I hear his song, I'm just like, oh, this is a song about zombies. They boarded up the window Where the river got to me Built the gates to keep the families From the trenches on Main Street You'll find safety in the suburbs We you take your pretty feet Sealed your own fate with your lips upon my cheek. David Newberry is a famed zombie apocalypse songwriter, and it's canon now. Um, yeah, you know what? You know what? It was. It, it's exactly what Sean was saying. You know, when I when I was digging into the lyrics, and there was a couple things that really stood out. And you know, one of them was the the talk about the diamond ring in you know the engagement ring, and that and that really kind of prompted the whole notion. I was thinking in my head this you know, uh, this man talking about his wife, but ex-wife and, and that whole notion of, well, what does this actually entail? And then there was that moment of, I think in, in David's song, it was down by the lake and I, and I put it, it was down by a river because not really, you know, fully understanding where I wanted to set this in, in England. So it was like, okay, well, not knowing, you know, how many lakes are in and around, but there are a lot more rivers. So it was just like, okay, so I, I, I kind of, that's where I kind of pulled the two things from, um, you know, uh, basically that was sort of, you know, my inspiration pieces from his song. I'm not worried. Why? Well, you see, I will not become the man I found in the river. He was not equipped. I will not become like my father, focused on the end, but too afraid to do anything about it. I've outlasted my wife. Sorry, my ex-wife. I've outlasted my neighbor too. (laughs) The zombie apocalypse won't get me. You know why? Because I'm bloody prepared. Fuck zombies. And why the English? I was just very intrigued by that coming from a, a song written about the Midwest of Canada. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? You know what? Um, in in lockdown, I was I was hooked on a BBC series by Alan Ball, and um, it, it's very much like an homage to kind of that show. And um, it, it's it, that's all it is is it's it's this really dark monologue show, um, and you know they're they're talking directly to the camera, and it, you're kind of wondering where it's going, and it starts out very quaint, and then it gets 
more bizarre and then it gets darker and then it gets just grim and i was like "Ooh, i want to kind of follow that kind of format so um you had a lovely twist ending on there it becomes funny and almost empowering at the end where <laughs> your man turns around and 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 this is something that I will bring up later on as well. And he actually sits there and says, there's something wrong with the world. But in a way, it's almost better. Don't you think? I think so. I really do. <laughs> See, one of the things that I find uh, about this whole stream just kind of crazy. Uh, we talked in the first talk back about these elements that would show up and then disappear for a couple pieces and then show up again somehow. And you don't you know the subconsciousness of the art sort of carried it along in this one there's a few things uh a lot of the pieces are dealing with current events which you know is probably going to come up in a lot of pieces no matter what those current events are that's things that are on everyone's mind and so those are the kind of exogenous elements that seep their way into it but for this this particular series of of pieces uh tim you started out with this character that is very apocalyptic character like between him and his father there maybe have a slight different opinions on what the apocalypse is but they're preparing for the apocalypse they're you know buying guns they are sheltering they're the people who watch the walking dead every day and say that would be awesome because suddenly all that would matter is my gun and i wouldn't have to worry about anything else and you know, uh, current events are a lot more complicated than one stereotype, but that is an element of the people who are causing havoc in certain protests that will then come into play in our later pieces. You know, there's this kind of reoccurring character that seems to show up in all of the pieces in different ways that, uh, you know, surprised me. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I mean, you talked about the the last, you know, one of the last lines I had in the monologue, and and it really that that line stemmed from one of my fondest memories of the first lockdown, and it's weird to say fond memory of this, but um, you know, my son was really young at the time, and you know, just over six months, and um, I just you know to settle him down and give Chantel time to write. I took him for a, a car drive, and I went from we live in the west end of Toronto, and I went all the way to the far east end of Toronto in like. 14 minutes and and but it was but I went through you know it was like 4 30 right in the financial district of downtown Toronto where you know I've I've worked and and it was barren and and it was just that that sense of like there's something nice about this there's something different and calming and unique and so um yeah that that sense of like I don't think we really understand loneliness and seclusion to the extent that we were able to kind of experience um and and now we're experiencing again with this um stay-at-home order and lockdown what what i think is that that informs all of her writing in a way that 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 is subconscious and that everybody seems to have that come out in the writing whether they're thinking about it or not mm -hmm. and i think that's yeah. enough and i like the nodding that's very good everybody. i am nodding currently i forgot this is going to be just an audio podcast be like everybody can see this right yes <laughs> Tim, your body language is making some excellent points. Yes. You know, I, people have always said my body language is for radio. Uh. Uh, can I just say that this might be the most Tim thing I've ever listened to in my life? 
Even like the writing is one thing. Yes, it's all exquisitely Tim. But as soon as the ending comes in and you've got these cheesy 80s action drums ripping him out, he's like, fuck zombies. I'm like, oh my God, this is just just Tim. This is Tim in a can of spam stewing in his own filth. I've cracked it open. I'm, I'm pouring tap water on it. It's expanding somehow. Sorry, I've lost the metaphor. Um, it's just the most Tim thing I've ever heard in my life. I, I'm glad that's recorded. I'm putting that on posters everywhere. <laughs> okay, let's uh, <clears throat> move on and take a listen. Take a look at um, uh, a song by Mr. Mike Matsey called "Newsprint Love." Superstitions the deal round the Dark comic reveal Keep every last one Any thoughts on where it came from, from your piece? I know there's a direct correlation in terms of the news and um, what Mike was writing about. Um, what else informed his piece? I agree with you. I, I think, you know, I, I definitely think he took the inspiration of that whole beginning section. And I, I mean, it was the throughout section of, of this, you know, character's journey of, of not being influenced or, you know, controlled by the news and the media. But um, um, I, I just like the tone of it. Like, you know, it was funny because it, it actually, to me, felt like the the song that if 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 that was like a series, this like quirky end of the world British series, like I'd want that song to be the the like one of the episode ending songs it just fit it so nicely in terms of and and I think because it because also kind of contrasts it in the way that the monologue kind of contrasts itself a little bit so I was really pleased with with Mike's song um I find it interesting that despite having the character be quite British in at least um in performance the song has a very midwestern vibe to it um this might be a bit of a weird deep cut reference but things like the walking dead and most recently uh i've been playing through a video game called the last of us the entire score is very acoustic midwestern acoustic guitars banjos etc um and for some reason we just in the general zeitgeist have latched on to that sound being zombie apocalypse out of georgia um, so we, we've transferred, we've, we've made our way all the way across the Atlantic ocean and we found ourselves in Ohio somewhere and the zombie apocalypse has happened. And this is the song that they're recording somewhere in a beat up studio in a downstairs basement. And that's, um, sound wise, that's what I get out of it. Um, I found that to be the most interesting transference. It's like, listen, I don't want to make a song about zombies. I hear you. I will meet you halfway. How about a song that sounds a bit like Norman Reedus on a motorcycle in The Walking Dead? <laughs> the uh, character in Tim's monologue also has very, I don't, I don't, I mean, I don't want to say specifically American ideals, but that sort of. Uh, that belt of America that we all know where they're like, I don't trust the news. All I trust is my magazines giving me guns. Um, and that mm -hmm. carries through into there's some fantastic lines that I've written down. Uh, I find sitting on the porch, passing the torch to be incredibly evocative of just like those big dudes and wife beaters sitting on a rocking chair. Um, and I especially love cast off your mask and gloves 
and newsprint love, um, <laughs> which in any other context sounds incredibly generic. Obviously, cast off your mask and gloves can mean anything in literature. But right now, specifically, with that frame of reference of those people in that place, uh, it's it's really rad to me. That's just the it's. I, I think it's actually the line before the cast off your gloves that actually puts the the little point on it for me. It's it's that line. Action calls you to task. Cast off your mask and gloves and newsprint love. I think that's that's it's that action calls you to task is the thing that puts the point on it for me. All right. So Mike's comments are that uh, he says the following. I found the subject matter of there's something wrong with the world quite relevant to our particular time. When I read it back in September, the world was in a sort of stasis from the virus, and we were just holding on, wondering what would happen next, and to what degree. What I took from the reading its narratives were two elements. Uh, one, the reliance and ignorance on uh, and of news outlets and channels and all related media to formulate one's own worldview. And two, the need for contrast, or on the flip side, the inherent good to the act of evil realized in Tim's character's modus operandi and illness. There's always the other side, whether it be an active entity or the one that's being affected adversely. And then he says, in keeping with the whole spirit of uh, the podcast and on-the-spot creation, uh, he took up the guitar and notebook immediately after reading the monologue and jammed a few ideas into his phone, live on the floor, um, and... uh, he sent it off. See, this is actually kind of interesting because he had his own layers of, of collaboration. He did his own mini streams and variations because he sent his song to uh, a few other musicians, uh, Noel DeTosto, um, who then added the lead guitar, uh, uh, the swells, the banjo, and the mandolin, and uh, Graydon James, who put on the drums and the bass guitar, and then sent that back to him that he mixed together. So, um, yeah, that's Mike's uh, whole experience creating this. That's pretty fantastic. To me, it 100% felt like four, four or five dudes in a room jamming out, um, which is rad. Yeah, just it's, in this case, it's separate rooms in around separate the rooms. city that they had to go to. <laughs> what? Which um, is, exactly, because it's crazy, because when you listen to it, they're like talking to each other. They're like, okay, yeah, they count each other go? in. Okay, we're going out, yeah. and it's like, who's saying that? You're not that? talking to anyone. <laughs> who's saying that? Is Graydon saying that to himself? And like, what is going on? Is that not the most fake news thing you could possibly <laughs> do right now? Where We've been duped, I tell you, duped. Um, so let's slip on next. Uh, let's slip into Miss uh, the work from uh, Natalie Frigia. The piece is called um, What's in Your Dungeon? And I know they say don't talk about politics on the first date, but goddamn, do I ever want to know straight up if the man in front of me with the dark hair and the eyes that go for miles and the book of poetry in his back pocket is also a closet woman-hating transphobic racist big C conservative before I get to attach, you know? I mean, keep some mystery, but show me your dungeon. Uh, this is a fun reaction to the song before in that it, it feels like she's now sitting on a date across from a person who would unironically sing the song we just heard. Yeah, and, and, who, and who would show up at the, the, the rally at the end and uh, yes. who would also later in life go on to divorce their wife and fight <laughs> zombies. It's, it's a reoccurring <laughs> character, which is so interesting. And, you know, one of, one of the things I think that, that Natalie does so well is, is like she puts her characters to the brink and then has them start talking to the audience. It's like you don't need to go on this whole, um, you know, uh, 
build up or you know dealing with all like the the little nuances before you get there she just gets right to the the meat and the heat of it and and that was what i i thought this monologue did so well if all of a sudden you just were just like smack you're just right in into the mix with this girl listening to her hanging on every single word and um yeah and then just just you know like i said like what's you know just the way that she incorporated what's in your dungeon like um you know the 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 eyes that go on forever and um but but of course that even followed the fact that she was like trashing this guy for mansplaining and it was just this like this contrast and this conflict within her was was fantastic i i really loved the yeah what tim was just talking about the absolute ferocity uh, the that character has hit the system and the system is hit back over and over and over and over again and the character has finally said enough so I have some comments here from uh, Natalie as well uh, about what she took and the development of the piece. And uh, the thing about this one, not only is the piece personalized to some extent, and it comes across a very personal piece, uh, but the inspiration of it and what she took out of it in terms of inspiration uh, was very personal because what she took in terms of Mike's overarching content was about newsprint love and you know the news and she had a personal experience with the news she had essentially recently just read something in the news about this person uh that this is about essentially (laughs) um and so that very personal experience is what she took out of reading mike's piece Mm -hmm. because that's what had been happening to her recently and so then that's what she wrote about um and so she goes on to say that uh although it's fictionalized you know parts of it are essentially true um loosely inspired by an actual person and uh the lines from the song that then stuck out to her were then about things like reading between the lines yeah uh because the particular experience that she had was about being fired from a job and what was the reason for being fired from the job and so reading between the lines about what actually was going on there and generations taking sides was the other line that she points to from Mike's piece and about uh, how different generations responded to her experience differently uh, depending on if they're contemporaries or an older generation that had a very different interpretation of the events in her experience um, and so this entire piece is entirely based on Mike's piece, but through the lens of a very personal experience uh, and experiences that she's had, which is really interesting. What I think she does really well is is kind of have a, a nice blend between letting the audience feel like they're that she's talking to them, but then and then quickly bringing it back to then she's like, oh my gosh, she's actually saying this to the state like actually still having this conversation with this day. Cause there was that one moment where he responded and I'm like, she's been talking to him the whole time. Like I thought this is like her inner monologue, like we're getting on the inside. So it's just that sense of like, I'm not holding back. I'm just going to say it as it is. And I, uh, you know, and I, and I really want to know what you think. Like, tell me what you think. She says at one point, she said, it's easy to find out about people. All you have to do is look on Facebook and nobody hides themselves on Facebook. Well, she's talking about what is hidden within herself, too. And yet, at the same time, she's trying to express that to somebody else that's sitting right across the table from her. So it's 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 a really, really wonderful character thing to do, is to have that dichotomy of, of, <laughs> of inner and outer at the same time. I just... 
anyway, that's my personal little uh, thing there. Um, anything else that jumped out at you, gentlemen? Uh, she directly incorporated the news through line in the line, uh, drag his name through the newsprint, which I missed entirely. The The news line ends at me, and I'm sorry. There's no more news. So yeah, I really liked that drag his name through the, the, the newsprint. I think line. it's a great line. I love that line. Uh, it's, it, there's, there's, there was a lot of lovely things that came up with it, and which leads us to you, sir. It sure does. The news ends with Jackson. The news ends with me. And other short stories. <laughs> Jackson and his wonderful piece, Work to be Done. Everything passes her by. The morning dew, the scenic route, the mountain view, without a doubt, where she goes. I don't have comments from Jackson. Jackson's going to have to do that himself. I. Oh no! <laughs> Because there's there's a lot of weird stuff to talk about with this song. Um, I don't know where to begin. What do you mean by weird? Uh, musically and harmonically. So the thing about, we were just talking about a character on the edge with the monologue before. And it's easy to do that lyrically often with just like blah, constant nonsense ongoing. Harder to evoke that I found in music. This song particularly, normally I write music and lyrics at the same time. This song... Music was the first thing that came forward. Um, specifically, it's this chord right here. This is an F sharp major seven add two add six over D sharp, which is every single note in the F sharp scale except for B, which we immediately land on as we move on to this downward moving scale motion here. Um, there is not a single minor chord to be found in the entire song because I wanted to evoke a person who's like weaving in and out even through a simplistic melody of like trying to keep positive. It's a bit heady and kind of stupid, but I kind of love it. Um, the big one being the like B section chorus thing where she talks about the work to be done. We weave from uh, A to D to A flat to F sharp to B to E flat to A flat to D flat back to B again. Uh, for no reason. No reason other than she's having a breakdown but doesn't want to let you know that. So she's going to go through every damn key she can to avoid anything that sounds remotely minor. Uh, and then this one, this one was weird because specifically I started it. I, I liked the character of someone who hides behind their work. It's a little bit more put together than uh, Natalie and Jada's character. It's it's uh, not, sorry, put together is the wrong word. Um, no, no, it is the right word because she puts herself together every day. Yes. She makes sure that the world has nothing to see but the perfect person. Great. Or the person that she believes to be perfect. Fabulous. Um, uh, which ultimately led to this confrontation of how does she reconcile that with being human and having emotions and needing to reach out to a person that she needs, has wronged in some way, but still is so devoted to her life, her work, her mask that she wears, um, she couldn't possibly carry that through. So that's how we ended up with this bit where she's yelling at Henry. I picture this long street covered in snow with these these the you know, street lamps and she's, you know, poked open the letter um poked open the letter box and is like, "Hey Henry, are you home? Listen to me, please." Um <laughs> and then <laughs> ultimately for three and a half minutes her head is halfway in the door. Um 
ultimately, of course, uh, Henry's like, get out of here. What are you doing? Henry doesn't say anything at all, actually, in the song, and then she's left to wander off. Um, gosh, sorry. I've My notes, I've moved on to monologue three here, Francis visits Sam in the hospital, which is like, honestly, it's a writer's dream to see something so perfectly serialized that we can get to it in a minute. But... Um, that's that's my thought process for this just dense piece of music. I uh, I wrote pretty much all of the music first before I got to the lyrics, which is odd for me. I love to work with them both sequentially, or sorry, at the same time, and sort of construct something so that the lyrics always complement the music and vice versa. But I think I was so overcome because I would read the monologue and I would accompany the monologue with this music and that's how it sort of formed over time. And anytime in the monologue she starts talking about uh, the whole situation um, with the professor, you know, getting a shoulder massage because her shoulders are messed up is when I'd start getting into this business here. Um, so I just wrote that all down and kept that and it became her wall that she steps behind as soon as she feels like I, I can't bring this up anymore i find everything you just said amazingly fascinating uh (laughs) so so don't ever stop talking um but uh the thing that i find so uh the thing the the thing that jumps out to me there is you said you wrote the music reading the monologue and with the words in the monologue uh but to me uh the music almost seems like if this was a musical the music would be what she jumps into after the monologue ends. Like she has her coffee thing and then she storms off and then she goes walking down the street and this is her like response to that terrible date. That's what this song is. This is is her trying to stay positive, trying to look inside and get some some re-anchor herself after being shoved into such pessimism in that horrible experience, you know? Um, That's cool. Yeah. That's a uh, that's really interesting because the the monologue itself is already so dense and rife with emotion and passion and and everything that she's feeling and thinking about in in an internal and an external way through the entire time. Um, so the idea of her then laying it all on the table to then leave and once again pick up all the pieces and lay it on her little internal table for her to be like, "This is what I've done today," is interesting to me. She's a person who then I guess needs to process things twice. Once in the moment in front of a person to be like take that yeah. and then another time to be like why did i do that <laughs> what am i doing <laughs> well it's 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 the confrontation song and then the i yes. dreamed a dream song they're two different ah. songs <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense i like that um she does come back to the realization of um a quiet street a silent door familiar heat i've been here before where i go i know i go it alone yes which is a very interesting thing for somebody to admit. Yeah. Um, this is definitely a situation she's been in before. I like to think with Henry as well. In fact, the song, we get this uh, ascending chord. And we end up right back with the same chord that we started the song with, which makes me feel like this entire thing is just a cycle she and Henry have been going through a million times, or she with other partners or whomsoever it may be. Um, that is actually a fascinating thing to admit. I think she has more self-awareness than she is... Uh, willing to put forward. I think she she knows this is part of who she is. And she tries to bring that in with uh, Henry. She says, open the door if you have it in your heart to 
um, if you have it in your heart to hear a shallow, prideful mess say that she's sorry, then I'm sorry. But the headlines, the meetings, the deadlines, the greetings, the work to be done, it's my work to be done. I can't let go of that. She knows every part of her. And I think this song becomes, I'm telling you that you just got to accept me for who I am. You're not doing that? Okay. Not the last person, not the first person. I'm out of here. I'll just point out that uh, you uh, you said the news ended with you, but you do have a line about headlines in there. You know, it's still bleeding through. Oh my god, I'm a genius. <laughs> <laughs> did it, guys? I did it. This is my crowning achievement. I will say I dropped the ball on production value <laughs> every time every episode would come out. I'd be like, can somebody please just be like a guy with a guitar? No, all of these are amazing <laughs> orchestrations. Oh, is that seven part harmony? <laughs> okay. Um, uh, I thought, I thought yours came, well, yours came in so fast, Jackson, just to, just to touch upon the, the mm. production you, uh, I mean, most people sent a demo that oh, we passed on sneaky. Uh, and then, they worked on something else later on uh, with other people sometimes. And you you, you just sent it to us and we were like, this is great. Do you want to just use this? And you were like, yeah, sure. <laughs> so that's what we use because that was great. <laughs> <laughs> Period. Done. I was going to say, you know, what's been really nice, you know, you're three episodes into your podcast and and it was nice to, to have something very musical theater like this was a like a like a, a really nice standard and it was a beautiful song and um and and just a different take because you know you you've had such a great array of artists musical artists that have been a part of the show so far so um yeah it was it was really nice to hear something something musical one of the one of the things i wish you two could have been a part of is jackson and i's conversation trying to figure out if we were in the same episode <laughs> And, and, and this is, this is the funny thing. He's like, so what? I'm like, I'm like, he's like, well, what did you do? And I'm like, well, I wrote a monologue and, and I was first. Cause they gave me somebody else's song. Like that wasn't part of it to kind of be my inspiration. He's like, okay, no, I wasn't first. I was like third or fourth. I, I don't know. He's like, what was your monologue about? And I'm like, well, it's, you know, a guy, it's kind of end of the world and there's zombies. He's like, no, we're not in the same episode. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's no way we got from <laughs> zombies song, to no. like a coffee shop somewhere. <laughs> And here we are. Yeah. <laughs> Let us move on to uh, a uh, monologue by Michael uh, Ross Albert. Branches visit Sam at the hospital. And because of that, everything has passed me by. Even the person you've become. I guess I'm blind. But I'm not responsible. Not for this. Wow. <laughs> um, I'm just going to say that right off the top. That is a, an incredibly powerful little monologue. Again, I'm going to slip back to that same... Uh, actually, I'm going to let somebody else talk about this first. Any, any thoughts from anybody else first before I, I, I drop in here? My initial thoughts is 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 just to uh, reiterate what you just said, especially uh, doing the editing for it and and the, the the background music. I had to listen to it a bunch of times, and every time 
it, it seemed to get more emotional. I don't understand how Denise's performance got more emotional every single time I listened to it. Some magic going on there because, you know, by the end I was, I'd listened to it like 10 times and I'm, you know, listening to it again, doing some editing and I'm like almost in tears. I'm just like, what the hell? Um, I think this is an incredible monologue. Uh, Denise speaks with so much weight at all times. She will say, it was a real bitch to get in here, and I will believe it. Um, Michael Ross Albert has also done a fantastic job of taking the song that was before and making that a seminal moment in defining who this character is. He didn't just take a line and said, this is what informs the character. It's that entire moment, that entire thought process carried through into her constantly getting text messages on her phone about Zoom meetings, um, constantly talking to the son about how, you know, I, I missed all this. You know, I didn't raise you to hate. You didn't raise me at all. And she says, and you're right. Um, and, and that inner awareness that we were talking about before of exactly who she is and she's accepted it and she's still trying to push it on other people to accept it as well and she doesn't like she's so far past the realm of reconciliation that this is just pure acceptance and she's looking at her son laying in this hospital bed after she completely missed the myriad of signs saying that he had just turned to a world of hate and self-destruction and outward destruction and she doesn't she doesn't outwardly immediately overtly blame herself or henry um if anything she she sort of inadvertently talks about how she is quite undeniably in my opinion in the wrong the nanny told her that she'd be home at uh, or gone at two o'clock she said she'd be there she absolutely wasn't henry comes home mom's not there baby's alone she shows up and henry's like no go away and she's like okay i guess i will um god i love this monologue so much there's there's acts there's a structure and the more it went along the more i realized how tied it was into uh my song which made me feel warm and fuzzy inside as one often does um but on top of that just building so many layers into who the character is how she thinks how she considers her son and the people around her god it makes me very happy it's happy making <laughs> I, I very much as well like the way that they took that character that you had created, Jackson, and made that uh, uh, took that character and put her about 15 years down the road and said yeah. that this is the person that this becomes and this is how she relates to the world and this is how the world is because it is all hers. And the craziest thing about this, about, I guess, the cycle of life is that her son turns into... The bad date from Natalie's monologue. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it all comes back. <laughs> yeah, I definitely have to, you know, Jackson touched on it. And it it's that sense of like the, the constant getting the text message. And for a writer to, to, to beautifully infuse um, breaks in the rhythm. So you're just you're just kind of going along with this, and all of a sudden it's like, bzz, bzz. and I remember the like I, I listened to it a couple of times. I remember the first time I was like, God, who's is that my phone? And it wasn't like I wasn't like being broken from the rhythm of the piece. I was actually being torn out of the whole entire show looking for this phone that I 
knew wasn't mine somewhere on vibrate in my home um but but i but i thought it was genius because it just i don't know it just gave you time to breathe and then get back into it and then breathe and get back into it so mm-hmm. um i really i really like that device and it's a show not tell experience that mm-hmm. is is what's so powerful about it is because you know she's talking about how she doesn't have time for her family or feels that way she feels like she's she at times maybe let her you know yeah. her family down because she wasn't there or she's she's struggling with that uh internally and we can see that it's a, it's shown to us through the actions in the monologue even though we can't see anything yeah. that's what's crazy about it it's literally only audio <laughs> but the michael's showing and not telling i don't know how he did it it's a fucking magic act <laughs> it's wild that even now in this moment with her son half of her brain is at work she still hasn't put her phone on silent she's not giving her family the time she says i should have given my family the time yeah and she even says at the beginning she says i promise she's no more no interruptions i promise and there's at least two interruptions (laughs) constant yeah another of the recurring motifs throughout this entire uh particular stream again is that dichotomy that we see in all people of the things we want to do and the things that we do and it keeps showing up over and over and over again. Um, this particular character, uh, actually, you said that <clears throat> what, uh, going back to what something Ashanja said, I don't think she believes she's in the wrong ever, except for that one time when she was late picking up the baby. Outside of that, she is not wrong for anything else. She is doing it because she is the one that has a particular point of view and it is the only right view there is and that character owns that she says i made that mistake but that was the only mistake i made while she's making mistakes Mm -hmm. so it's clearly not going to be the only mistake she made and i think it's you know it's it's such an empathetic character and i think it's it's a you know at its heart it's a good character especially because in this in this series we have you know, a lot of very flawed characters, <laughs> some more than others. And and she's certainly, uh, although she has flaws, she's, at you know, a very good character within these the series of pieces. But when you say that, it is true. Like, she makes a big deal out of one mistake, but then she's making small mistakes, but still, you know, she said no interruptions, and there's two interruptions. So that obviously was not the only thing that she did wrong you know (laughs) i want to mention my favorite moment of the entire monologue um francis is a lawyer and lawyer and the work is the mask that she often hides behind and she admits that she was in the wrong for that situation however she still uses that mask of being a lawyer to tear that nanny down and make sure she can never work with children again she again Mm -hmm. hides behind her work in spite of actively being like, I was up, it was my bad. I did it. That was my fault. But you never again. You're not doing anything yeah. with your life. That's incredible. I am taking legal action. Yes. There's definitely legal consequences to this. <laughs> so I have, before we move on, sorry, I have, I have comments from Michael. Yeah. So, so he says the, the song I was given had some really strong narrative elements. It's about a woman in law school working too hard and neglecting her relationships. There's an image of her standing outside a character named Henry's door, asking for forgiveness, apologizing for prioritizing work over someone she loved. I wanted to explore what happens to this character after that scene on the porch. 
Who has she become after a lifetime of expertly juggling work and family in a pursuit of her dreams? And I wanted to give her a moment to realize that she shouldn't necessarily be asking for forgiveness for wanting to have it all. The young lady from the song has grown up to be an extremely capable adult, and she no longer feels responsible for her family members being less hmm. capable than she is. Yeah. Yeah. Nailed it. That's, <laughs> that's... Damn, we got it, guys! <laughs> we did it! That's a man who knows his own writing. Thank you, Michael. Um, let's move on for our last piece in this particular thing. Yeah, so this is Proud Boys Rally by Tahare Vejdani. We're not afraid. We're not afraid. We're gonna take our freedoms back. We're standing proud, standing back, and standing bye bye bye. We'll make America great again. Come join in our refrain. Here at the Proud Boys Rally, a brother. I was, I was, you know, it was, it's one of those pieces where you're listening to it and you're like, this is, this is a very cool, very nice song, but you just feel <laughs> wrong to be listening to because of, and the timing, like, like oh, yeah. the, the timing of the world to when you presented this, this actual episode to then what happened uh, at the at Capitol Hill. Um, it just the timing of and you know and maybe it's biasness i think i think this is just cohesiveness this is your most cohesive episode in terms of um starting with like the world ending and and just mindless zombies to then a song for trump supporters so, handling with the yeah. world ending and mindless zombies yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah full circle i will say having the proud boys uh singing what is unapologetically like a black gospel tune is alarming on many many levels uh harmonically harmonically it's it's brilliant it's fascinating it dances all in and around the standard one five ones with some fun little sevens and the claps are on the two and four which may i add is a big deal um if you're white in general uh no this song was actually uh a delight and one that initially I was listening to on a speaker loudly in my basement and then immediately had to throw headphones on because someone was coming downstairs to put their laundry in and I didn't want to give the wrong impression. <laughs> uh, the song is also, we talked about this before, it was written back in September. Is that when the stream initially started? Around uh, about? I believe that this, because they went in order, uh, this song would have been in October. Uh, I think okay. it started writing in September, and then by the end of it, uh, when Tahare was writing, it would have been uh, in mid to late October. That's even better, because like around that time, the term Proud Boys was hijacked, per the suggestion of one George Takei, by the LGBT community. Um, the Proud Boys hashtag and its subreddit uh, were both just flooded with images of happy, openly gay couples uh, just sending these people into just a constant meltdown. Uh, it makes me happy. All right. Well, since you 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 nailed it with your divining rod there, uh, I'm going to read what uh, Tahare said. Oh, here so, we go. Uh, she says, I was initially struck by the mother's story and her journey and feeling of guilt of how her son turned into a neo-Nazi who attends race rallies and attacks a stranger. And the song began as a ballad from the mother's perspective. Uh, but the timing is important because of what happens next. Four days of writer's block uh, was then unlocked by the first presidential debate between Trump and Biden. 
um, and where he called out to the Proud Boys and said, stand back and stand by. Um, and that became a question for me in the monologue. How did the son go down this path of radicalization? The song shifted from the mother's story to that of the son in the form of an ironic Proud Boys recruitment song. Maybe something heard in a YouTube recruitment video that led the son down a path of far-right extremism. Initially, I'd envisioned it as a comedic musical theater piece, as the lyrics do have some tongue-in-cheek moments. Uh, like when hashtag Proud Boys was being reclaimed by the gay community. Uh, and it's referenced in the line, and tweet our pics. Uh, and the whole That's third great. verse can be heard through that lens of reclamation, uh, using the device of humor and subversion. Uh, and then she also says, I find it humorous that the lead vocal is sung by a, a woman of color, which subverts the message even further coming from a voice that would have an extremely low probability of ever being a member of the Proud Boys. <laughs> and uh, I will have to uh, admit and give full disclosure here that I, I did help her out with those background vocals a bit. Those male <laughs> background vocals are mine. Uh, Especially the <laughs> in the background. Lo love that, John. <laughs> oh, that... That's a Billy Joel reference right there. That's just <laughs> that's just taken straight from For the Longest Time. Ah. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think uh, the rest of it was her. <laughs> I just threw my little Billy Joel in the end. So I have a question for you then, Sean. What, mm -hmm. what form did this song take when it was initially submitted to you? So uh, Tahare sent it as a demo with her uh, and a guitar accompaniment. It had the same pacing and same melodic structure. Um, but, uh, you know, she said to me, you know, if you want to help out, that'd be great. Uh, and I said, you know, I, I kind of thought about it and I thought, well, you know, we could do it like an acapella thing. And I wasn't thinking like necessarily uh, black gospel. <laughs> I was thinking more about uh, the thing I had in my mind was like the Ivy League uh, college acapella groups which a lot of those people they get their law degrees and then they go storm the capital yeah <laughs> you know huh. and that's what i had in mind in, in my mind i was thinking more like those you know rich white bread you know yale acapella groups that's great maybe i just violently misread this but it was the clapping that made me go i don't know <laughs> a little too hip yeah that was where i went wrong <laughs> damn it um, this is an incredible song. I actually listened to this a, a few times solely because there's so many jokes that keep coming and going um, that I, I just needed to stop and listen to it a few times to hear all of them. Um, the call and response is great. The last line in this particular song was, stick us on the front lines because our work is never done. And it's harking back to almost every single piece that we've had throughout this entire stream. The last piece was about work. The, 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 your piece before was about work. Um, the, the piece before that was about work. And it, it, it just, the first piece, not so much about work, but it his work now was re keeping himself safe inside, you know? Um, it, it's just the reflection of this, this time period and the time frame that it was written in. That, that everybody, that's all people had was the concept of going to work and going home. And that was it. We didn't have anything in terms of recreation or, or, or other just going out activities. We had work and we had home. And that was it. So I think it's a really good reflection of the time period that all this stuff was written in. In these pieces, 
work, I think, has a specific meaning uh, in that the work to all of these characters is kind of the thing that gives their life meaning. Uh, meaning and structure. It's not just work in the sense of a job. Work, because the way that in, in Tahereh's piece, it has a very different meaning, but the similarity between the meanings is that this is this is who what defines them. And that's what defines them, even though the work to be done for the Proud Boys is very much not work. It's very destructive. And it's very, you know, uh, it's, it's not constructive. It doesn't build anything. It tears things down. But that's what it means by work in that context is, is th that's what defines them. And that's what defined Michael's character and balanced with other things sometimes. I think that was part of Jackson's song is about finding some balance, but it was still a core element of what defined the character too. I was just, I was, I was blown away at how like I, I've been meaning to call her up and get some lotto numbers because did she peg everything that was just said a week ago? Um, by Donald Trump, you know, standing up before that storm on the Capitol and saying, our work's not done. You know, we will fight uh, all the way to the end. And just like, and how he incited the violence were pretty much the lyrics of the song. Um, and yeah, I just, it, and, it, and it makes a lot more sense in terms of now knowing the timeline of, of watching that first debate and having him say, you know, you know, stand by. Um, yeah, such, such an incredible song. Yeah, and just like you've said, the timing is is crazy because the song was written in response to Stand By. What does that mean? And it came out right as we saw what that meant. And that, you know, those kind of chickens came home to roost right at the time when we finished this and put it out into the world. Anyway, I think we're, we're at the end here. And um, I'd like to thank... Uh... Tim Cadney and uh, Jackson Sive for uh, dropping by and uh, informing us with their opinions on what this writing stream was all about. Hmm. I'd also like to thank my co-producer, Mr. Sean Erker, and I'm going to let you, Sean, fill you in with all of our details. All right. So our next episode is going to be episode four. That's going to come out two weeks after this talk back is released. Uh, if you'd like to contact us, you can reach us at streamsandvariationspodcast at gmail.com. Uh, we are on Twitter and Instagram with the handle at variationspod. And we are on Facebook uh, at uh, the Streams and Variations podcast page. Uh, and you can subscribe on all the major platforms if you haven't already. And you can uh, find out more information and also listen to the prompt song by David Newberry, uh, the replacement things on our website, uh, streamsandvariations.com, where we have more information about all the pieces and uh, the backgrounds of that. So, uh, yeah, um, thanks again. I think that's all I have to say. Great. Thank you all very much for listening. Uh, we'll see you later. Bye for now. Mm -hmm.